Hey, what's going on? It's Jason Snow, and you're listening to The Jason Snow Show for Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. How is everybody doing out there? How's your week going? Hopefully your Monday wasn't too bad, uh, but if it was, hopefully this podcast can give you a little boost, show you a little light from that dark tunnel, and make your, your week bearable until I check in again with you on Friday. Big moment in the history of this show. In the brief 20-minute history of this show, already a big moment. We've hit the fifth installment of this show. Number five, we're halfway to double digits. We're going to hit double digits in like two weeks. I, I can't believe it. We are climbing the tower of excellence on the Jason Snow Show. <laughs> yes, we are climbing. We're, we're still very low on the, on the totem pole, but we're making our way up. We're, we're being consistent, and I'm happy. I'm happy. I hope everyone is enjoying this half as much as I am. Um, so March Madness is in full effect, as you may have heard, and I was reading an article today on Yahoo talking about how this year's March Madness is already the craziest NCAA tournament ever. And I was thinking, and I think it brings up a very interesting question because this year's March Madness already has the most upsets pre-Sweet 16 than any other tournament ever, thus being described as the craziest. And I'm very interested to see how this plays out. Not from a who's going to win. I mean, yes, I'm obviously interested in that. But more so, who's going to watch? Because everyone, especially in you know cable TV, everyone is fighting over eyeballs. And years past, March Madness has drawn a lot of attention. But I was thinking, because a lot of people, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I think a lot of people put their arms around underdogs because it's relatable. I mean, we're, none of us are running Apple None of us are running Microsoft. We don't have, most of us don't have 10-figure jobs. So we kind of put our arms around the Oral Roberts, and we put our arms around Oregon State, and we put our arms around North Texas, and we kind of root against Duke because they can fly out and get Zion Williamson on a whim. We root against UNC because they can recruit anyone. The big brands, they get a lot of pushback. They're targets. And... I think, you know, we, I'm not going to speak for it. Like I said, I think the middle class, like the majority of people, the average person kind of relates to the number 15 seed. And I was thinking about years past because underdogs kind of make the tournament notable, right? We kind of put our arms around UMBC, who I don't know if you could point out on a map. They were the first number 16, uh, number 16 seed to take down a number one seed. Oral Roberts took down Ohio State earlier this week. And I think it's very interesting because like a couple of years ago, if there's one notable upset a year, one notable underdog a year, we can kind of put our arms around it. Florida Gulf Coast was a couple of years ago, the most high flying team, like everyone loved Florida Gulf Coast. UMBC, Lehigh took down Duke like eight years ago. And I think it's very interesting because I think ratings will go up when a, a f- not a favorite, like a beloved underdog gets really competitive with Duke, Carolina, Kansas. But this year's interesting because those teams, those UNCs, Dukes, Kansas, they're all out. There's there's no big dog left. I, I look around the I look around the the bracket today. Gonzaga's still probably the odds-on favorite. Michigan's there, too. Those are probably the two biggest brands. But 
I think we're going to get to an, an Elite Eight full of Oral Roberts and <laughs> and Loyola, and people aren't going to care as much. I'm, I think I think that's going to be very interesting because we love underdogs. People say they love underdogs and they they spur against dynasties. But I feel like having that sort of big villain is going to be missed in this tournament. And I feel like a lot of people, when there's one singular upset, one singular underdog that they can put their arms around, people love that because they can follow it and they root for it. But when there's six in a tournament, it becomes indistinguishable it's i've never heard of them where's colgate it becomes a lot of where are they from it becomes a lot of it's really blurry when you get late into a tournament full of players and teams you've never heard of but when you get that team oh i watched you know that 15 seed takedown number one okay that was really shocking that was electrifying now they take on duke oh i gotta watch that we gotta watch that but when it's that no-name team out of nowhere stuns stuns a big dog and then advances to play another small fry. I don't know how that's going to land. And I'm very interested to see how eyeballs are going to watch. So that's my big question. Because March Madness is built on the underdog. But when there's too many, is that a dangerous spot to be? Big show today. We're going to wrap up the show with NBA trade deadline. NBA trade deadline is about 48 hours away. I'm going to talk about which teams should buy and which teams should sell in a very interesting game show-like concept. So don't miss that. But first, let's shift to this. I had a theory not too long ago. I wrote about it on my blog. I said it at nauseum on Final Call. I was super obnoxious with it. I was I was proud of it. I'm going to be honest. I was really proud of this. And I had a theory about how teams hire head coaches. And I was kind of exhausted with how a lot of teams, they recycle not very successful coaches. The one example that I used this past offseason, or actually there was two in the NBA. One, Stan Van Gundy. I didn't understand that hire. I mean, he wasn't very successful in his last stint with the Pistons. He was a good broadcaster, but his coach, his track record, his track record as a coach wasn't all that great. The other one was Tom Thibodeau with the Knicks. I didn't think that would last at all. I was kind of wrong about that, to be honest. They're in the playoffs right now. I didn't expect him to even sniff the playoffs. And I was like, uh, hard to, I mean, he's a hard coach. He runs his players into a ground. He's been fired three times in the last like four years. I just didn't understand it. And my whole premise was I wanted teams to give underground scouts and analytics people another chance. I wanted, the, I wanted people to find the Brad Stevens and to find the Nick Nurse and, and find new blood in coaching. And I thought that was needed, and I still think it is. I'm not abandoning this theory by any stretch. I'm just kind of walking back. And one reason why is this year's NFL free agency. But I called it the mall theory because my prerequisite, if I was running a franchise and I was hiring a coach, would be if I walk past you on the in the mall, I wouldn't recognize you. That would be the, That would be the serum. That would be the truth serum. If I can recognize you in a mall, I don't want to hire you. Because a lot of those coaches bring their own system, they bring their stubborn ways, they're very locked into what they want to do, and they're, they just bring a lot to a franchise that if I'm hiring a new, a new coach, I'm starting from scratch. I, 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 want a, I want fresh blood, I want fresh air, I'm not trying to bring someone's old ways into my, into my locker room. So that was my point, and that was my analogy. But this year's NFL free agency has me kind of walking back the plank. 
because the Patriots, and I, I, the earth is still shattering from their free agency moves. It's kind of shocking. They're probably going to be an 11-win team at the end of this thing after being sub-500 last year. And it's no secret that the world is getting faster, smarter, and younger. Social media has done that to us. A lot of older people are getting phased out of the working world by tech savants. And the same thing is happening in sports. And I talked about it on Friday's episode referring to the MVP race. We try to find the next guy instead of putting our arms around who is here. LeBron, Tom Brady, Steph Curry. They're over 33 years old. We're trying to find the next guy instead of putting our arms and embracing the guys we do have. But having a legendary head coach and having an experienced head coach is the most underrated part of the NFL. And it showed in free agency. So the average NFL head coach is 49 years old. But believe it or not, out of the, there were seven coaching vacancies this past NFL offseason. Seven. Six of the seven were under 45 years old. And six of the seven had never been head coaches before. There's a trend. They're trying to find the next guy. They're trying to find new blood. None of them had been head coaching, like not very experienced candidates. There are 15 coaches around the NFL under the age of 45. Teams are looking for the smart, inexperienced, but smart and know what they're doing and, and trying to get ahead of the curve. 15, half the league. I'll name them. Sean McVay, he's probably the best. Kyle Shanahan, Zach Taylor, Matt Rule, Mike Rabel, Kevin Stefanski, Robert Sala, Nick Sirianni, Cliff Kingsbury, Matt Nagy, Arthur Smith, Brian Flores, Brandon Staley, Dan Campbell, Matt LaFleur. 15. There are seven coaches on the other side of the coin over the age of 60. Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Andy Reid, Vic Fangio, Mike Zimmer, Bruce Arians, David Culley. And let's eliminate David Culley because he was just hired. Um, He's never been a coordinator before, so he doesn't really fit this. But for the sake of statistics, he's over 60, so he fits that category. But I'm not going to talk about him. And it's really, really interesting because look at the Patriots. They started this free. Uh, they started this offseason with the fourth most cap space. Jags had the most, then Jets, then Colts, then Patriots, and then short after that, Bengals, Dolphins, Carolina. How were they able to lure the most free agents? Three words. Culture, reputation, and trust. And that's simply something that a young coach won't be able to give you. There is kind of a problem because, you know, a lot of these teams trying to get ahead of the curve. They know that they're not going to be able to sell all the things Bill Belichick's able to sell. Because they're simply all the good coaches already have jobs. So they're, they might as well, you know, find someone, find someone new. But I'm laying out all the teams with the most cap space. And arguably all of them had a better sales pitch than the Patriots. You can sell Charlotte, North Carolina, warm weather, new coach, new system, a history of, of being in that division. You can sell the Dolphins, Miami, Florida, no state tax. We like Tua, good defense, and starting to really turn things around. You can sell the Bengals, Joe Burrow, start from there. You can sell the Colts. We have every bit of this roster ready to go. We're just not sure about the quarterback. Want to join us? You can sell the Jets. Not as much as any other team, but although their culture isn't very great, it's still New York. 
You can sell the Jags. You like Urban Meyer. You like Trevor Lawrence. But for the Patriots, the sales pitch wasn't as glamorous. They have a division they probably won't win, a quarterback they had a hard time throwing, coming off a losing season with a complicated scheme in an aggressive sports media market with unpredictable weather. And marquee free agents wanted to come aboard. And there was an interesting story on The Athletic that the headline, I'm going to read the headline to you. Patriots new players had a common feeling. They wanted to be coached by Bill Belichick. I recommend go reading it. Go, Go look it up on The Athletic. Copy and paste that headline. You'll find it. It's a captivating story. And a lot of the new free agents, the new guys in town, tell the story of their first days in the facility and being around Bill Belichick and what the experience was like. Jalen Mills, who was once upon that uh, the Philadelphia team, that cocky Philadelphia team that beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, he came out and said, quote, I'm about to walk out of the cafeteria and I hear... Hey, Jalen. So I turn around and it's coach. In my mind, I'm saying, okay, this is coach, but it didn't really click. It was Bill Belichick. He's just talking to me, telling me I'm happy to have you. Glad to be, you know, glad for you to be here. I'm excited for you to be here. And Jalen Mills literally turned my, his back to him and screamed out loud. This is Bill Belichick. <laughs> he screamed it out loud. He screamed it out loud. Kendrick Bourne came in and said, Quote, when I came into the building the first time, I thought it was going to be all stuck up, kind of like trying to see how it would feel. Everyone looking at me, coaches mean, but it was a whole misconception. They're relaxed in here. They're laid back, having fun, but they know how they want to look. They know they want their organization to be serious and excellent. Behind closed doors, it's relaxed. It's fun. There's laughing in here. I was like, man, I was tripping. I thought I was going to be able to be myself. I thought I wasn't going to be myself. But the first day in the building, Bill was super cool. Robert Kraft, super nice. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? That's something that other teams simply can't offer. Bill Belichick saying, I can't, I love for you to be here. I'm super excited for this year. Thank you for being here. I'm super excited about this year. It means more than Nick Sirianni, doesn't it? Andy Reid giving you a contract means much more than Arthur Smith doing the same. Pete Carroll saying, hey, we'd love to have you here, means more than Cliff Kingsbury saying that. But the trouble is those coaches aren't really available. They already have jobs, obviously. But that was the major selling point. We see, we see Belichick the stoic coach. We see Belichick the statue. We see Belichick, you know, the grumpy, almost every press conference. But these last two years, post-Brady, I'm not going to lump Brady into this, but post-Brady... He's complimenting Cam Newton. He's being more expressive in the media. In the draft last year, his dog was sitting at the seat. That's just not what we expect from Bill Belichick. And we saw another side of him in this story. Bill Belichick, the recruiter. And it's he sold player he sold the players on culture, trust, and reputation. And even last year, a lot of people were urging them to, to tank. Even me. I said, you're not going to... What's the point of winning this year? You're not sold at quarterback. Your receivers aren't very good. Your defense is a shell of itself outside of, you know, outside of the secondary. Why why try to be competitive? Just have a gap year. Come back the next year. Hopefully get a top five pick. And, and you'll sell for yourself from there. 
and you'll start from scratch and have a new identity. Bill Belichick said no. And that's a turn on for a lot of players. Starting from scratch, you have to build up a lot of... Starting from scratch means not only you start your roster from scratch, you start trust from scratch. Bill Belichick wanted to be competitive. And that is a turn on for a lot of players who's, by the way, career length, not that long. They don't want to waste years. They don't want to waste years. And it certainly does help. The Patriots had cap space and had money to pay and guaranteed a lot of money. But when Bill Belichick comes up to you in the cafeteria as you're just strolling by, as you're, or you're he's already he, he's calling you from behind. You've already passed. He wants to talk to you. If Bill Belichick wants to talk to me, that's an honor. If Nick Sirianni wants to talk to me, if I'm an if I'm an NFL player, an NFL veteran who's been in this league forever, uh, I don't know if it means that much. And by the way, most aggressive teams the last few years, the teams that have made the most moves, arguably the, the most the most additions to their roster: New England, Tampa Bay, Kansas City, New Orleans, Seattle. Four of the five teams have coaches over sixty. In New Orleans. Sean Payton's 56 and is pushing 60. It's not a coincidence. The successful teams have experienced coaches. I mean, you're not a new coach simply isn't going to walk in this league and, and light the world on fire. The only one who did that was Sean McVay. So I think this story showed another side of Bill Belichick that a lot of fans has, haven't seen, including me. I did not think Bill Belichick would go up to a free agent and say, I would love for you to be here. I don't know. I just, it, it was just hard for me to picture. But now it's obvious that's exactly what he did. He was able to sell culture, trust, and reputation. I'm Bill Belichick. I'm going to get you to the playoffs. We flirted with the playoffs last year with, a like I said, a quarterback that, <laughs> a quarterback that looked like it hurt to throw. Just every, eight opt-outs. No backup, essentially. No backup quarterback. And they were able to flirt with the playoffs. Seven and nine. They were an av- slightly below average football team last year with a lot of things going against them. So I think it's impressive. Uh, I think it's fascinating that the most stern, stoic, cold-blooded maybe coach, maybe in the, the history of football, is showing a new side of himself. And I think it's great. So I'm kind of walking walking back on my mall theory. If you have a chance to get a legend head coach, you do it in a heartbeat. I don't care how old he is. But I don't really blame a lot of these teams for trying to get ahead of the curve and find younger people because outside of Urban Meyer this past year, how many like legend coach, and even Urban Meyer, the jury's still out on him. Can he coach in the NFL? But if you can get a, a culture setter, a guy who has a reputation and trust, ah, it's just big. It's just big. And I heard this story. Uh, from Colin Coward. You may have heard of him. And he was talking about the next layer of radio and how to get better and how to just the story of him coming up in the business. And he said that a little gray hair in radio isn't such a bad thing. And just think about that. And I've thought about this too. That as a podcast host and as a diet radio host, I can't tell quite as many stories as someone who is 55 can. I simply don't have that life experience. I can't have the analogies. I don't have the life experience. Like 5% of my life has been cooped up in my house because of COVID. Like I don't have that life experience. So like radio, 
football is an industry that a little gray hair is actually a really good thing. Nearly every industry is evolving quicker and quicker as every moment ticks by. But football, I think, sets itself apart. Experience? Players can trust experience. Reputation? Players can trust that you've been there and done that. In a little age, players can trust that that you can lead them to where they want to go. A little gray hair is a good thing in radio and football. So coming up next on the Jason Snow Show, NBA game show, not really a game show, but NBA game, love it or list it. I'm going to play some love it or list it. NBA trade deadline right around the corner, and so am I. I'll be right back. All right, and we're back on the Jason Snow Show. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline in the NBA. It's, it's coming upon us quite quickly. And a couple of weeks ago, I laid out a couple of players. And if I was the commissioner or if I was the basketball gods, would this player fit this team and so on and so forth? And that was a couple of weeks ago. But now I'm going to look through a different lens and let's play a little game. It's called Love It or List It. So there's this TV show. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I don't even know what channel it's on. TLC, HGTV, something like that. Um, midday television, pretty much. They run reruns all day long. And as I'm flipping through the guide, I see it, right? And love it or list it. So it's, in essence, there's two real estate agents will go to this couple who's kind of disgruntled with their house. And one of them will fix it up and make any moves um, any moves that are needed to make, like renovations, and they'll fix some things up and try to convince that couple to stay. And the other real estate agent looks around the, the, the neighboring area at different houses trying to convince this couple to list their current house. Now, I'm going to do the same. Now, it's that shows a lot of competition. I just, I'm stealing the name of that show. <laughs> love it or list it. So do I love this team's roster? Do they not need to make any moves ahead of the trade deadline? Or do they list it and kind of sell off some parts? Maybe not sell off the entire thing. Maybe they don't. Maybe they keep the core, but maybe they change the bathroom tile. You know, something like that. All right. So love it or list it NBA style. Let's start with the Celtics. List it. You got list the Celtics. Something has to change. They're eighth in the East, five and five in the last ten games. The home loss to Sacramento was frankly embarrassing. Uh, Tatum, Brown, Smart, and Kemba haven't played too much on the court together, but time's time's ticking for this team to kind of make it into the play. They're they're an eight seed. If you told me four months ago this team would be an eight seed three quarters of the way through the season, I would have told you to scrap it. So they're interested in Aaron Gordon. They're interested in Harrison Barnes. They're interested in Jeremy Grant. Maybe they they they're looking for one prototypical piece, and I think they should go get it now. I think they should, by and large, keep the two J's, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I would keep Smart too, and I would keep I would keep the big four. I'd keep Jalen, Jason. I'd keep Marcus Smart. I'd keep Kemba Walker. Um, it's unlikely he's going to get moved, but outside of that, I think this team needs a swingman. I think this team needs an extra score, and ultimately, I think the ramifications of this trade, this potential trade, if they in fact do one, will hopefully, you know infuse some sort of enthusiasm into this team because this team doesn't have it 25th in assists 21st in defensive efficiency 21st in fourth quarter points this team doesn't have an identity they're lost they uh, they need some motivation 
they need to play with some enthusiasm. I think they need to play faster. I think they need to play with more ball movement. So I think hopefully a trade can do that. I don't know what kind of player they're going to get. They're saying uh, Aaron Gordon, but I don't know what the price tag is. I wouldn't give up a ton, but a move has to be made somewhere. So I would list the Celtics. I think that they should look for a new addition. I think that they should look for something new. Let's go to the Utah Jazz. They're number one in the West. But believe it or not, list it. I think that they should make a move at this deadline. I'm not sold. I don't I don't love this house. I don't love this. This isn't a perfect roster. I'm not saying to blow it up and go from scratch, but maybe have a garage sale. Sell off a few parts. I think the Jazz could I think they should emerge as buyers because this team isn't totally separated from all number one seeds that their success doesn't translate to the playoffs. The Toronto Raptors of years past, same thing. Milwaukee is kind of in this middling good regular season team doesn't quite translate to the playoffs. So if they can get an athletic wing that they can just throw on LeBron with playoff experience, can get willing to do the dirty work. Miami did this last year. They brought in Jay Crowder. They brought in Andre Iguodala. They made a move like this to kind of sure up that side of their identity. So I think Utah should do something similar. I don't think this isn't a, this isn't a Mona Lisa of a roster. I don't think it should be off limits. They're playing well, they're number three in points per game at 117. They're 16 and two at home. They're tied for fifth in defensive efficiency. They're a really good team. They're the surprise of the season, outside of the Sixers maybe. They're the they're the surprise of the season. I'm not saying to blow it up, but I'm saying playoff series versus the Lakers. Who you taking? Versus a healthy Lakers team. And speaking of the Lakers, I would take the Lakers in that series. Utah hasn't proved proven anything. Speaking of the Lakers, let's move to them. LeBron and AD both out. What do you do? They're both out for extended periods of time. Do you love it or you list it? Believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy. I'm going to love it. I wouldn't change a thing. Now, maybe if there's a deal that you can't possibly pass up, you do it. But I, I wouldn't look to sell off any parts. I would, I would, I would keep this team intact. I think they're the only proven team in the West. Let LeBron and AD get healthy for a couple weeks. Let Harold Schroeder and Kuzma go out and dominate the ball and average 20 a night. And most importantly, if those guys show out and average 20, Kuzma was a 19-point scorer two years ago. LeBron, in his style, ball dominant, he, he can kind of suffocate a lot of people's stats. So if they, the Lakers go out and they play a 500 or better throughout the next 12 games, which I don't know if it's possible, but if that happens and Kuzma takes over, you have another trade piece in the offseason to potentially get a Bradley Beal. So let let these pieces play. The Lakers don't necessarily need a top seed. They don't need to buy their way to a top seed. I think the Lakers are a team that would be content with a number five seed and play their way, play their way to another championship. I think they're proven. I wouldn't change a thing. I know that's kind of wary because two of their stars are out, so maybe you do something desperate, but... Keep the chemistry intact. Keep this team the way it is. Marcus Gasol hasn't paid off the way he wanted to, but I, w- I would keep this this team the way it is, believe it or not. All right, let's go to the Golden State Warriors, who are just cling- clinging on to an eight seed out west. I'm going to be honest. List it. They need to make a move. Outside of Steph Curry, this team is offensively challenged. I don't think they, they should do a 
trade blind for talent like they have in the past. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins didn't really fit. They just did that for talent. Like, they shouldn't just go blind and make a move for talent. They should emphasize fit. Find another shot creator that can relieve the pressure, uh, relieve the pressure off Steph while he's running off screens. Jarrett Jack did that at the beginning of the Warrior success. Andre Godala did that throughout his entire tenure. Get an experienced guy in who can make shots, who can carry the ball. Get a better veteran who's been in some big games. Maybe an Eric Bledsoe, a Rudy Gay from San Antonio. They just need some defensive. They need an identity. Middle of the pack and point per game. I mean, that. that all right. If I'm going to tell you this. Steph Curry's on an NBA roster. He plays most of the game. You're still middle of the pack offensively. That should not happen. Get another offensive piece. I don't think Kelly Oubre fit this team. I don't I don't know. I don't even know if Andrew Wiggins fits this team. They just need an identity. They need to go back to what they're they're good at. Playing with pace, shooting through. I know Clay Thompson's out. I give him a pass for that. I mean, they would have been a lot better this year had Clay been in the lineup. I mean, Andrew Wiggins wouldn't have to be your second leading scorer. Kelly Oubre, you know, wouldn't have to be your your third option. So maybe they get a pass there. But I'm just saying at this deadline, I think you need to make a move for another score, a tertiary score that can be trusted to make a run when Steph's on the bench or potentially out of the lineup for injury. Because with Steph out of the lineup, this team goes nowhere. They're an eight seed already. So Golden State needs to make a move. The LA Clippers. I think they listed as well. I don't think this team's polished yet. The rumors, the rumor is they need a point guard. That's been the rumor for a couple of years now. They've been targeting Ricky Rubio, which I think would be a pretty good fit and a realistic move considering Minnesota is the worst team in the league. Houston, Houston lost 20 straight games and is still three and a half games above the Minnesota Timberwolves. How is that even possible? Uh, but I think... Maybe their need is point guard. Maybe the Ricky Rubio thing would fix it. But I think they still need to zero in on this chemistry thing. And they could really get aggressive here. Two-game win streak, but they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 games. Maybe maybe a trade can turn things around. I mean, they're fourth in the West as we speak. I don't know if that's exactly where they want it to be. So if they can overcome a Phoenix with a trade, if they can kind of pass these teams, People are kind of sleeping on the Clippers, so maybe they get aggressive here and try to revigorate their momentum heading into the later stages of the season. Last one here. And we did, this is the sixth, the sixth team. The Toronto Raptors. And this one, I don't think you're going to, I don't know if you're going to believe this one either. You could go either way. You could love it, or you could list it. You could ship Kyle Lowry off to Philadelphia you could move uh, Norman Powell off to a Golden State or a team that needs a score. And sure, they've been 1-9 and nine in their last 10 games. And they lost to the Rockets last night, s- snapping their 20-game losing streak. But I'm going li- to love it. I don't think this team should make a move. Maybe it's controversy. But I think they, they should hold on to the core they have. Why? Every team, especially a playoff perennial power like Toronto has been in the last two years, three years, they're going to have a gap year. This is their gap year. They're 17 and 21, I believe. They haven't had a true home game all year. They're playing in Tampa, Florida. I think you forget about that. And they haven't had a regular lifestyle since COVID started because they've been playing in the bubble down throughout the playoffs. They were a hard-nosed team. They were tough out. I mean, they lost Serge Ibaka and uh, Marcus All in the offseason. I don't think they've quite made up for that quite yet. 
I don't. I think you stay with this core for. I think you give it one more year, one more go around with Pascal Siakam. I mean, this team has endured more adversity than any other team in the league. I think. So I think you give them one gap here. You wait till they can go back to their normal um, home arena, at least in Toronto next year, and see how it plays out. Maybe it'll be a five seed. Maybe it'll be a tough out. I don't know if they'll ever be a title team again. But before you sell off, and more importantly, don't give Kyle Lowry to a team you might see next year. I don't think you bought him out quite yet. I think this is a core that still has some promise, can still give some people a hard time. It gave the Celtics a hard time seven months ago. And granted, they had their bigs, but Nick Nurse said at the beginning of the season, this team has 72 road games this year, especially with the shortened season. All teams play 72 games now. 72 road games. This team was bound to have a gap year. I don't think this is anything out of the expected for the Toronto Raptors. So in re- in review, I think the Celtics should look for a trade. The Jazz should list it. The Lakers should love it. The Warriors should list it. The Clippers should list it. And the Raptors should love it. Fun game of NBA, love it or list it. That show is not sponsoring this this episode of the Jason Snow Show. And if they if someone's listening and is an executive on that show, I would I would be I would love to to promote your show. I would love to promote your show. <laughs> uh, you're listening to the Jason Snow Show. And by the way, this trade deadline would, is going to get really interesting because I looked down all the rosters and all the standings. There are a lot of teams that could buy it. And not a lot of sellers. I don't think there's a lot of sellers throughout the entire league. Especially with the new, with the 7 through 10 play-in tournament at the end of the season. A lot of teams still feel like they're in it. Especially if you're 12th in the conference. You kind of still feel like you can push your way up into that top 10 and be in that tournament. So a lot of teams are feeling like they're in it. And they might need to, I think there's going to be a lot more buyers than sellers this year. I mean, outside of Sacramento, Minnesota, maybe even Houston. There are a lot more buyers than sellers, so that this trade deadline could either be a firestorm or be a snooze fest. I think it go, could go either way. I don't know if we're going to get a trade deadline as usual. Uh, but thank you for tuning into this episode of the Jason Snow Show. Lots of fun today. Lots of fun. We're a little all, all over the map, but some of those episodes are kind of fun. So I think this one was. Hopefully you enjoyed, and I'll talk to you again on Friday. I'll see you then.